This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, uh, anything and everything, judging by the questions that were sent in in the last couple of days. There's a lot going on in people's hearts and minds. So please call us. The phone's have been quiet this week. 210-340-9585. That's our primary number. 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions uh, to questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, this is important. The safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Let me get right to questions. The first one came in. This is from Ted. And so everybody knows, I take the questions kind of in the order that I get them. But sometimes because they're timely, I jump them up. This is one that I got today and it's been jumped up. Uh, Ted wants to know, do you know if John MacArthur had church? And if he got arrested, if he did have church. Also, how would you respond if the threat of arrest was made? Uh, I do know John MacArthur had church. The place was absolutely full. Um, he did not get arrested. And um, again, we need to keep uh, Pastor John in our prayers. Um, he is, I am told, being fined $500 per day uh, by the county uh, because he's in violation of the court order. Uh, he has an appeal that is uh, active but has not yet been heard or ruled upon. So um, as of now, the people at church, I, I get my information off of his YouTube channel. Um, um, people sounded thrilled to be there. Um, there was a huge ovation in, in the service that I watched, or I just watched the, the, the newsy part of it. So he's doing well. We, we just need to pray for him. It's, it's an amazing thing, Ted, that we live in the United States of America where worshiping is a constitutional right. It's not a privilege. It's, it's a right that we have. It's important to the foundation of our nation. And yet now local city, county, and state governments are refusing to allow Churches to exercise their constitutional rights. An amazing thing. Something I really never thought I would see in my lifetime. You know, I, I believed, uh, Ted, that, that, that what we do as pastors, if you teach the Bible, you teach it faithfully, I believe that a time is coming when what we do will be labeled as hate speech. And I expect that people will get arrested for that at some time in the near future. I never dreamed that we wouldn't be allowed to have church. And so, uh, praise God for John MacArthur, for my friend Jack Hibbs, and, and some other people, Calvary Chapel guys that I know, who are um, openly defying uh, an unlawful order and doing what God told us to do, and that's to meet together in the body of Christ. We're going to do a question, how would I respond personally if the threat of arrest was made in me? I'm not a brave guy, Ted. I don't know how to respond. You know, I'd like to think that I would be faithful and I'd like to think that, that uh, you know, I'm going to stand with and for Jesus. 
Uh, Paul said, beware when you think you stand, lest you fall. So I'm not going to be so bold as to say that's what I would do. I hope that's what I would do. But who knows? Who knows? I just pray that I would be faithful. Thus far, Ted, I think I've been faithful. Uh, I hope I would be faithful if that were the case as well. Thank you for the question, Ted. Uh, Here's another personal question for me from Jerry. He said, Pastor Ron, do you have the gift of healing? Um, Jerry, I think you misunderstand the gift of healing. Uh, We have been sold a bad bill of goods by the faith healers on Christian, so-called Christian television. Um, um, the gift of healing, it's plural in 1 Corinthians. It's gifts of healing, and the gifts of healing aren't given to somebody like me. The gifts of healing are those who need to be healed, and when God answers those prayers and they're healed, then they receive the gifts of healing. There is not a man or woman alive who God has said, I'm going to give you the gift of healing. Now, people say, well, there's lots of people. that I've seen people healed with my own eyes. Well, Jerry, the problem with that is what you've seen is a setup. Let me take a minute. We've got uh, no calls, so while we're waiting for calls. Uh, as a brand-new Christian, God took me into a, a situation. Benny Hinn was actually the guy at the Anaheim Convention Center in Southern California. I'm a brand-new Christian, and I want to go see this rock star, you know, and um, uh, I didn't need to be healed at that particular time. There wasn't anything wrong with me, but but I knew I was called to be a pastor, and yet uh, I, I just wanted to go see what this was all about. And it was interesting because Paula and uh, the guy I went with his wife went in early and got seats. Uh, we knew we were at work. We were going to be a little bit longer. And uh, we got to the convention center, and uh, the doors were shut. There were people all outside crying and pleading to get in. I was seeing people who were, who were really, really in need of, of healing. I, I mean, uh, mothers with their children uh, with all kinds of ailments. And, and it was just heartbreaking. And I remember sitting out there thinking, well, we're not going to get to go in, so we're just going to sit out here and pray and talk to people. And, and um, you know, when Paula and, and the other lady comes out, then... Well, at least they get to experience this this man of God. And so I'm just kind of hanging around the edges, and all of a sudden one of the ushers comes up to me. Now he's on the inside of the glass, I'm on the outside. And he opens the door just a crack, and he said to me, God wants you in here. So me and my friend, we got to go in. Guy risked his job to do it. But we got to go in. We found Paul and her friend. And then they watched the whole show. And that's all it is, Jerry. It was a show. And I couldn't stop thinking about all of those people outside who believed that the man of God, the anointing was inside, and they were being left out. And I realized that day that these faith healers are really just scam artists. Now, there are times when God grants a healing because somebody's heart is right in those situations. But it's not the man or the woman who has the gift of healing. It's gifts of healing. Now, Jerry, I I tell you, I have prayed, I'll bet, a hundred times. I go to hospitals a lot as a pastor, as you can imagine. And I've prayed a hundred times, Lord, give me the, the, the ability to heal people here. I'll do it quietly. I won't draw any attention to it. I'll just tell people in the name of Christ. We went to a children's hospital, Paul and I, downtown. And my heart was so broken. I just pleaded with the Lord. But that's not what the gift of healing is about. So the way you understand the gift of healing, Jerry, no, I do not have it, but no, nor does anyone else. The gifts, plural, of healing are those given to those who God will heal. So I hope that makes sense. Remember, God still heals people. He doesn't do it the way they pretend he's doing it on TV. But uh, those gifts of healing are are uh, the ones given to the person who's in need of the gift. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's go to... Uh, we got Danny on line one. Danny, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. How are you? Danny, I'm doing great. Thank you. That's good. 
So my question is on Second um, Thessalonians chapter one, uh, verses five through nine. Um, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of of the Lord and from our and from the glory of His might. So, I think you know where I'm going with this. But and I know that you you've always preached and, and others about you know not losing your salvation. But that verse in nine is that referring maybe to those that know the Word of God and just being disobedient, or were they ones that once knew the word and were following the word and had fallen back and um uh, and then so i just want your take on that okay i can do that danny you know one of the great things about both first and second thessalonians is the intentional contrasts that paul uh, gives us between uh, they and 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 we uh, us and them kind of thing and so when you get to verse 9, it says, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Um, um, go back to verse 8. It says, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of, Jesus, of, of our Lord Jesus. So we're talking there about unbelievers, people that maybe know about him, but they don't know him, and they're not obedient. Now, a frightening thing about this, Danny, is we got tons of people, probably 50% of the people that sit in church every week who know all about God. There are times when I'm giving an invitation, Danny, when, when the Lord is speaking in my heart, he says, I'm, I'm trying to, to speak to people. I want them to hear, and I'm kind of praying under my breath, and, and I can feel the, the spiritual tension in the air. And he lets me know that he's, he's talking to people who are sitting in the church who don't really know him at all. And so what he's saying in this whole passage, the Christians, remember Thessalonica, they are going to be um, persecuted. The, the real Christians are going to be persecuted. And that's why he says in the sixth verse, God is just, he'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And he's encouraging them to hang in there. And the, the thing that is the most difficult about this, he says, uh, that this will happen. Uh, we want it to happen right now. Okay, Lord, they're they're giving me problems. They're, they're causing me trouble. They're persecuting me. Get them, Lord. That's what we want to say. But he says, no, no, no. And here's where we got to trust him. He says, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Now, we know that's at the end of the age. And we don't want to wait this long. We want vindication and relief now. But Paul is saying that we've got to wait until Jesus returns. And this is the reason, Danny, that our faith has to grow. But he's talking clearly about unbelievers who are sitting in the church or who are persecuting the church. Persecution from within, persecution from without. And he, and he says their end is that God will punish them. And the, a literal translation is taking vengeance upon them. Uh, and their punishment will be everlasting destruction. So these aren't people that lose their salvation. They're not backsliders. These are people who didn't know him at all. And then he closes it. You, you, you stopped in verse 9, but verse 10 it says, On the day he comes to be glorified with his holy people um, and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. And then he says, This includes you. Because you believed our testimony to you. And it's hopeful because the alternative is so grim. So that's what he's talking about there. But he's the the the, the continuing contrast in both First and Second Thessalonians between the we and the they, or they and us, 
It's a completely different eternal picture. So, Danny, thank you. That's a good question. First um, and Second Thessalonians are two of my favorite books. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We've got Jimmy online too. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Jimmy. Oh, hey. Um, I just got a bomb dropped on me today. My wife and I. Hmm. Um, my daughter Tatiana texts me and says that her and her boyfriend want to move. They're going to move in together, and uh, and I'm like, no, that's not right. No, uh, we. I know. I, I just don't. I don't know where you, my mom, your mom, and I went wrong. We tried to raise you as Christians. I, you know, I know none of us are perfect, but. Even I tried, we tried to raise you and Christians as Christians in the ways of God. And, and then, you know, you guys do make these decisions. And then uh, she's like, well, we can't just follow your rules all the time. And I said, well, you know, Tatiana, may the Holy Spirit be with you and God bless you because you broke my heart. Your mother's in my heart. And, and you don't agree with it, and we're not going to support it. So, yeah, I mean, Jimmy, I, so sorry. but he, he's a, he's an atheist, right? He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't. Yeah. He's not a bad kid, but he doesn't believe in God. And I said, well, you know, I, and I told my daughter, you need to you need to tell him that you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But she's been she's going to a point where she's like, I don't know anymore. And I said, well, you know yeah. what? Jesus is coming back soon, and the rapture is near. So. You need to tell him because otherwise he's going to be left behind, and then you might be left behind too. So I don't know. You, have to you know, you know Jimmy, you Jimmy, you can you can raise them to know Christ, um, yeah. but this isn't necessarily a failure on your part or your wife's part at all. This is, you know, when they grow up, they've got to make their own choice. Every every child goes through their own tree of choice moment where they've got to decide. This is one of the reasons that God says that we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The minute she started dating an unbeliever is the minute you should have said to her, look, we don't allow that. As long as she's in your house, you don't allow that. And Christian parents just don't do that anymore. I, I don't. They think it's so harsh, but they don't do it. Well, the alternative is this is what happens. In a relationship like this, the unbeliever always influences the, the, the professing believer. And now what we've found, and this gives you the ability to pray correctly, yeah, what you found is that she's made her choice. And she yeah. didn't choose Jesus. And I always treat people, even if they're my own kids, if they're acting like an unbeliever, I treat them like an unbeliever. One other comment here, Jimmy, that I think is important, and, and I am so sorry because this is something that we deal with all the time. As kids grow up, they make adult choices. we we got to tell them that adult choices have adult consequences. So you are on your own. We love you. Our door is always open, but, but it's only the door of Jesus Christ that, that is open to our house. And so um, if you need help, if you want to come back, you come back to Jesus or you come back to us on his terms. Um, but you can't do anything, and this is hard for moms, you can't do anything to, uh, to, to give any sort of a, an appearance of acceptance of the relationship. Jimmy Paula one time, and, and this was, she was in tears when she told me, uh, one of our kids made the, the decision that they were going to move in with their girlfriend. And, um, uh, and, and fortunately, in this case, we, we convinced them, don't do it, let me, get, let me marry you, and we put a, a wedding together real quickly. But um, she, she looked at me and she said, I would love to be a mother-in-law. I would love to be able to help them you know, set up their apartment and do those things and cook for them. And, and, and she looked at me and she said, but, but I can't. And it's really hard. It's hard for moms. It's hard for dads. It's sin is so painful. And that's exactly uh, what you're going through, Jimmy. So I'll be praying for you and your wife and Tatiana. Um, but, but the way to pray for is, Lord, show her who you are. Bring her to you. You know, we too often think that we raise our kids in a 
Christian home, that makes their automatically Christians. It's simply not the case. So we'll be praying for them. We'll be praying for you uh, and your wife. It is hard. We've been through it dozens and dozens of times over the years with kids that grew up in this church. And um, the good news, Jimmy, is that most of the time um, they come home to Jesus. Sorry you're going through it. All right. God bless you, brother. You too, Jimmy. God bless. 340-9585. Philip asks an interesting question. He says, what are the best manuscripts, the Alexandrian or the majority texts? Um, Philip, they're both good. Um, um, I don't know what are the best manuscripts. The majority, uh, the Texas Receptus is what it's called. Those are the, the manuscripts that the King James, the New King James are translated out of. Um, but the the uh, Alexandrian manuscripts are older manuscripts, and there is a, 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 a probably a majority of scholars that believe the older they are, the more authentic they are. Now, Philip, I don't believe that. I absolutely don't believe it. I just think they're different transcripts, and I believe that the um, those um, NIVs and NASBs and and others that are being translated out of the Alexandrian manuscripts, um, I, I think they're really great translations. Um, but but that doesn't mean they're better than the majority manuscripts, the Texas Receptus. I, I think I think all of the translators have done a good job of translating the material they're given. And I know there's people that think no, the King James only type of thinking in terms of the Bible being being authentic. Uh, but that's just not true. So um, the argument is the, the Alexandrian manuscripts are older, so they must be better because they were closer to the time uh, the original autographs were written. Uh, others will say, no, the majority texts are better. That's why m- m- more of the scholars use them. Uh, I, I think they're all really, really good. I think they're good. I'll, I'll go one step further, Philip. I believe I'm teaching in the Bible. Um, on Sunday, in fact, here at Calvary Chapel. So I think the um, serious student of the Word of God ought to study out of translations that pick from both of the texts. By that I mean read a King James or New King James, read an NIV 84 only, or read the NASB or some of the others. And uh, I think you're getting a really, really accurate picture of what the Bible says. So, Philip, good luck. Good luck. You know, one thing I'm going to say on Sunday about the Bible is that we need to do what Philip is doing. He's a student. He's rightly dividing the Word of God. He wants to know how best to pursue the truths that are that are, are evident in the Scriptures. And um, we all need to do that. And, and every Christian needs to decide once and forever that this is literally the inspired, God-breathed Word of God, that it's without error, that it is, is um, um, infallible, um, inerrant, uh, and that we can trust it. And if we will believe that, then it'll take care of the rest of our, our problems. Um, when I was a new believer, I, I was so curious, I had all these questions, and I used to ask all the questions and everybody said, well, the Bible says this or the Bible says that. And and if the Bible was the authority for every question that I needed answers to, then I had to, it just made sense to me that I had to find out for myself without depending on anybody else, is this really the Word of God? I'm a new Christian. I didn't understand how it could be written by men and be written by God. It made no sense to me. So I made it my sole mission in my Christian life to find out whether this was really the Word of God. I said, Lord, if it's really your Word, I want to know and I'll follow it. But if it's not, I need to know that as well. And that pursuit, Philip, took me, I don't know, um, just under three months, maybe right around three months. And I was so convinced. Now remember, I'm in my first year of being a Christian. I was so convinced 
that this was the Word of God. God not only showed me in terms of all of the information that I was researching, but He showed me spiritually, experientially. I had the inner witness of the Holy Spirit saying, Are you convinced? Are you convinced yet? And finally, one day, sitting in the, the stacks at the library that I was studying it, it, it really felt to me, this didn't really happen, so don't anybody think I'm weird, but, but I really believed that um, Jesus was in that room with me and saying, now you can believe. And I've never had a moment's doubt since then. And so the last 28 years, I've never had a moment's doubt. Every one of us needs to make that trip to get to the place. Okay, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our program. We've got 30 minutes for your questions and calls, 340-9585. Here's an interesting question from Perry. He says, I read that black Christians are leaving white churches over the Black Lives Matter issues. Do you know if it's true? Um, Perry, I don't know um, uh, if, if it's true or not. There's no source that I can go to. Um, but, but I can tell you that, church, that Christians, whether they're black, white, or brown, um, if they're in a well-taught church, no one would leave a church over the Black Lives Matter issues. You know, one of the things I think we, we have to remember is that church's job is not to get involved in social justice issues. Our, 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 our main goal is not politics. Um, we're here to tell people about Jesus. And I know that we get up in arms, you know, when things are going on in our world and we want somebody to address our problems. But, you know, as we proclaim Christ crucified and risen from the dead, as we realize that our, our responsibility is to love the people that he loves, he loves everyone, and we're not to take sides. In fact, Perry, as Christians, we're not even really supposed to recognize race. Now, I know it drives especially black people crazy when white people like me say that, but but there is no color in Christ. They're saved and unsaved, that's all. And um, if black Christians are leaving churches that are predominantly white because they're not addressing their needs then I can tell you they're not teaching the Bible. They might be preaching it, they might be covering topics, but they're not teaching the Bible. Because if you teach the Bible, like, like we do here at Calvary, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, if you teach it like that, you're going to talk about all of these issues. All of these issues. Let me also, pair make the distinction. When you say Black Lives Matter issues, every pastor I know that loves God, loves His Word, is spoken about, about the racial injustice in this world, in this country, in the church. Those are Black Lives Matter issues. Now, if they want us to address the organization Black Lives Matter, well, all we can have for that is condemnation. That's not a, it's an anti-Christian organization. It's an anti-American organization. It's anti-life so we've got to make that distinction. But, you know, after the Floyd George murder, um, and that's what it was. Now, a lot of the others that are being protested weren't for sure. But this was. This was just a, a, a horrible, horrible thing that we watched. And I don't know any pastors that didn't address it. Frankly, I know we did here. But see, that's why you teach through the Bible and you get the opportunities to do that. So I would hope that 
uh, black Christians are not leaving white churches, and I would hope that white people going to predominantly black churches wouldn't leave those churches. We need to remember the purpose of church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's straight from Ephesians chapter 4. And if we get that, then we don't have to worry about all of those secondary issues. Churches ought to be. I realize they're not. I'm not talking about some spiritual nirvana. But churches ought to be the one place where everybody is on level ground. Whether it's the pastor in the church or somebody opening the door in the church. Everybody's on level ground serving the same Lord, bringing Him glory. We just had a conversation with somebody, Perry, just this past weekend, where they were remarking, it was a black couple, and they were remarking to us that they've never been to a church where they could like sit on the same level as the pastor. The pastor was always on stage, had a big chair, or they never had access to him. And that, that they were actually out having breakfast with us and talking to us about things was was a stunning thing to them because in the black churches that they grew up in, that just never happened. And I just thought, how did we ever get there? What What would make a pastor think that he is above in any fashion or form over the people in his church? So I think our issue, Perry, is not Black Lives Matter issues. I think our issues is Bible issues. We don't get it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are making really, really bad choices, setting bad examples for it. So I don't know if that's exactly what you meant, but I hope that helps. Here is an anonymous question. He says, uh, I work in a school district as a bus driver. Uh, And when I said he, it might be a she. I want to share Jesus with the students, but am prohibited from doing so. I feel guilty for not sharing what should I do. Um, anonymous, nobody can make you stop sharing Jesus. Now, you can do it and wait for openings. You know, you can tell people, the kids, God bless you. Oh, God loves you. What a beautiful day God has made. You can say things like that. And you have opportunities, I promise, from doing that, that will enable you to, to find those openings. The kids will ask. So share Jesus. Share the gospel. Now, here's the problem. There will be consequences. Very likely there will be consequences. You've got to be willing to pay them. I mean, this exact same situation Peter and the, the, the early apostles found themselves in, in the book of Acts. They were ordered by the authorities over them not to proclaim the name of Christ again. And Peter looked at him and he said, you determine what's right. Should we obey you or should we obey God? And not waiting for an answer, he said, as for me, we simply cannot stop proclaiming this name. And I don't know why we got so scared. And we've been, we've been harassed and threatened. Um, you know what? A paycheck's not worth denying Jesus for. And I say this to our church all the time. If you stand for Jesus, he'll stand for you. That doesn't mean that you're going to sail through. There won't be consequences. It just means that when you are suffering consequences, Jesus said, if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. The word is happy didn't say you feel happy, it just said you will be happy. And that happiness, that sense of, of joy, comes from the fact that I stood for God when it cost me something. David said to Aaron, purchasing his threshing floor, Aaron, smart guy, offered it to the king for free. And David said, I will not give that to the Lord, which costs nothing. You know what? If God gave you the job, and you lose it for standing with Jesus, standing for Jesus, then I think you can trust him. So I don't know when, Anonymous, we got so frightened by all of these rules and regulations. Our job is to tell Jesus. That's our prime directive. It comes from heaven. And we got to realize that we will be aided, we will be insulted in many quarters. In some cases, you might lose your job. 
but Jesus will always be there for you. So uh, what you should do is share Jesus. Just share him. When somebody's hurting, when, imagine one of those students listening to mom and dad argue and, and they're crying as they get into the bus. Believe me. They need you to pray for them. So be you. What's the popular saying? You do you. So here is another touchy anonymous question. That's where my church is being divided over a young girl in our church who's pregnant. Some want to throw her out of the church um, along with her family, and others want to forgive her. What is the right thing? Uh, anonymous forgiveness is always the right thing. Now, I don't know. You didn't say, is she is she repentant? Is she acknowledging? The thing? But, but I can't ever imagine throwing a young girl out, a teenage girl, out of the church because she's pregnant. This is a time when the body can come alongside and, and let her know, experience the love of God. So those who want to throw her out of the church, they're the ones that need to be thrown out of the church. Her family didn't do anything wrong. But God is merciful. He's slow to anger. Not only is he slow to anger, God loves the repentant sinner. So what we want to do is we want to show her who Jesus really is. I'm amazed to get a question like this. Why in the world would we put a young girl out of the church because she sinned one time or maybe she sinned a bunch of times? It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. It's not judgment. It's not finger-pointing or tongue-wagging. And now to see a church being divided over such a simple issue. So this is where the pastor needs to stand up. And support. We've had one of my one of the favorite girls in my life. Um, committed, deeply committed believer, even as a junior high high schooler. Effective in ministry, wonderfully, wonderfully gifted to teach. So blessed, and she came up pregnant. And hers was a one-time deal. How could we ever just put her out? So we loved her. We brought her back to the family. We made sure she knew that what she did was wrong. Believe me, she knew it. Didn't have to be convinced. But she is serving God as faithfully now as she ever did. And by the way, she's got a wonderful husband and a beautiful, beautiful baby boy at the same time. Beauty from ashes, we call it here at Calvary Chapel. This girl in your church just needs to see some beauty. So you advocate for her. You love her. You let her know that this isn't the sin that's going to disqualify her from heaven. You be there for her. God will use you. Maybe... He'll use you in your church to save some of the people that are pointing fingers out after and want to throw her out of the church. Those are sad ones to me. Oh, here's one from George. He said, You said on a study recently that some people in your church are upset with you for opening the church and have left the church. Can you explain why they would do this? And would you change your decision uh, to open uh, if it would keep people happy? Um, George, we live in a time where churches are all being divided by this. There's a whole bunch of people who are really afraid. I mean, these are health issues. They're really afraid. They're bombarding themselves with 24-hour-a-day news cycles. They're, they're, they're immersing themselves in all of the, and I'm going to use the word intentionally, with all of the propaganda that's being thrown at us. Remember, this is a, a plot. Now, again, I'm not a conspiracy person. There aren't backdoor meetings. But the plot that we're living through right now is one where Satan, in the councils of the demonic, Satan is using our media, using our leaders to try to scare people out of church. And believe me, the spiritual warfare is so intense. I understand that people are afraid. But you know what? 
I can't let that worry me. So, um, yeah, we've had a few people leave the church. Um, I get talked about a lot on social media. I never listen or read. Um, But, you know, that's okay. And every Sunday I still have the privilege of looking at people who are here because they want to hear about Jesus. And I'm only concerned about the people that are here. I can't be concerned about the people that aren't here. There's no way I would change. And, and, you know, no matter what happens, I'm not going to close the church again. People that need to be here, the people that want to be here are adults that can make their own decision. And there are always people, George, who think that because I'm the leader of the church, I ought to do what's best for people. And their idea of best and my idea of best is two different ideas. So I don't get angry at them. I'm sad for them. But I don't get angry. And you know, George, one of the things in a, in a situation like the one we're all in now is there's no right decision. I was listening to John MacArthur. He said, you know, if I close the church, there are people who are going to be mad at me because I close the church. If I open the church, there are going to be people who are mad at me because I open the church. So no matter what decision you make, there's always going to be people mad. What we need to do is do what God says to do. And he says, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. He said that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. If we close churches, well, the foundation in people's lives is broken. So, yeah, that's what's happened. Um, Sad. It's disappointing. But my job is never to make people happy. My job is to show them Jesus, to preach Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And George, we do that here uh, at our church. I'll keep that one. I don't want to need to talk about me or our church anymore. Here's an anonymous question. Pastor, I'm getting tired of the constant political emphasis in church. Why can't I... Excuse me, why can't I find a church that doesn't make me feel unsaved because I don't go along with their political preferences? Um, get a new church. Seriously, there, there's churches. We, we never talk about politics. Um, we talk about issues as they come up in the verse-by-verse teaching of the Word. But this idea that you've got to be a Republican to be a Christian or in some places you've got to be a Democrat to be a Christian. It's interesting, I had a question of black people leaving white churches. You know, um, um, black churches are overwhelmingly filled with Democrats. And they believe that's the right and just position. A lot of white churches, the majority in fact, are, are conservative and Republicans. They believe with all their heart that that's the right position to be in. So if we follow the political emphasis, it's almost like we're drawing a line in the sand. On this side of the political line, you're saved with me. If you're on the other side, you're not saved. I can promise you there are going to be Democrats and Republicans in heaven. And the church has lost its way. If we're passing out voter guides, the church has lost its way. If pastors from the pulpit are telling you who to vote for or how to vote, what we should do is teach you who Jesus is and let the Holy Spirit deal with your conscience and give you the direction that you need to make the choice you can live with. Now, i got to tell you, it's hard to look at a Democratic platform and understand how any Christian could vote for that platform. But even as I say that, I know there's a whole bunch of Christians, real Christians that I'm going to be in heaven with forever, who I know are going to vote for a Democrat. So, how about we just talk about Jesus in church and let him form our political opinions. It is a sad thing when you can't get away from the emphasis on politics that are inundating our news cycles when you go to church. We need to be consumed with Jesus and just Jesus. Danielle says, Pastor Ron, when Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, was it the Father or Jesus they walked with? Danielle, I have no way of knowing. They walked with God in the cool of the garden. 
Now remember, in their unfallen state, they could see God in all of his glory. Their nakedness was covered by the glory of God. So they could walk in the garden with God. But, but whether it was the Father or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, I can tell you my opinion. My opinion is that the answer is yes. It was God the Father, it was God the Son, and it was God the Holy Spirit. I think Adam and Eve before the fall. And wouldn't it be nice if we knew how long they were in the garden before they fell? I don't think it was very long, but we don't really have any way of knowing. Maybe they walked with Jesus for a week. Maybe they walked with, with, with God in the garden for a year. Maybe it was just a few days before the tempter came and Eve was over there checking out the forbidden tree. But here's what we know. We know that while Jesus... The Son of God came into existence 2,000 years ago. He was always, in eternity past, He was always God the Son. In the fullness of the Godhead is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so my opinion, Danielle, would be that God walked with the Father, with the Son. I'm sorry, Adam and Eve walked with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But that's one of those questions that we won't know for sure about until we get to heaven. Here is a question from Yoli about the Garden of Eden again. Uh, Yoli says, Why did God put the tree in the garden if he knew Eve was going to eat from it? Yoli, he did it because um, we all have to make a choice. God could have said, you know, every time you go near that tree, you're going to get zapped. And he could have caused them to be afraid to touch it, but, but God wanted to give them a choice. So here's the choice he gave them. Now, I'm certain that that forbidden tree was beautiful, maybe the most beautiful in all of the garden. I'm sure that the smell, the aroma that it produced was heavenly. I'm certain the fruit looked beautiful and luscious. But that was the only tree out of the entire garden that God prevented them from eating from. I'm equally sure all of the other trees were beautiful and smelled great. And To look at them, to eat from them, would have been just as wonderful. But you see, I call that tree the, the tree of choice. Because God says, you have to make a choice, it has to be a meaningful choice. And there will be consequences or rewards based on the choice that you make. But we've got to make that choice of our own free will, Yoli. And so when um, he put that tree in the garden, he was doing it so that they would know how much they really loved God. And the answer was heartbreaking. They didn't love him as much as they loved themselves. Adam, for sure, chose Eve over God. Eve was deceived and ate. She gave Adam the fruit. He could have said, no, I'm not going to do this. But he chose fellowship with his wife over fellowship with God. That much is clear. So God gave him a choice the same way Yoli. He gives you a choice, he gives me a choice. And because he gives them a choice... He honors the decision that they made. You know, when we send our kids away to college, we know, or, or even to the work workforce now, we know that they're going to be tempted with all kinds of things. And as much as we hate that happening, it's a good thing. It's always a good thing that we have the choice to make. They've got to be weaned off mom and dad's faith. And a lot of them make the wrong choice. And still parents send them to college and most often pay for it. Because they realize that our kids got to make a choice. they got to grow up. God loved Adam and Eve so much. He gave them the opportunity to choose to be obedient. Same thing for us. I think I've got time for one more. This is an anonymous question, and it says, 
I don't understand why God wouldn't want me to marry the man I'm in love with just because he doesn't believe. Um, Anonymous, I hope you're, you, you were listening to the program earlier when Jimmy called. You could hear the heartbreak in, in a dad's voice. Um, God doesn't want you to be in love with a man who doesn't love Jesus. Can you imagine living with somebody? I've got a family, a husband and wife I've been praying for for a lot of reasons, but, but one of them is, is as he's getting older and, and sicker. Um, his wife, we all want him to come to know Jesus. Can you imagine living with somebody for 30 or 40 or 50 years and they didn't love your Jesus? Can you imagine what it would be like to get to heaven and find out they're not there? Or, 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 or when they die, to know they're not there because they didn't believe. So God's asking you, Anonymous, to love him more than you love this man. God's trying to save you tons and tons of pain. He's trying to save you heartbreak that's unimaginable. And it's because he loves you that much and he's asking you to trust him. So that's why he wouldn't want you to marry. There's pain, pain, pain in your future, and there are no exceptions. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Oh,